Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hello and welcome to episode number 39 of the Scottish History Podcast. This week we're continuing on from episode number 37 of the Scottish History Podcast, where we were talking about the Romans. This week we're going to be focusing on, essentially, the four kingdoms of Scotland after the Romans left. I do apologise for a lot of background noise in this particular episode, but I'm recording it during the day when people are actually going around their daily business. So join me for episode number 39 of the Scottish History Podcast to find out more about the four kingdoms of Scotland. In 297 AD, the Roman poet Eumenes mentions for the first time in his writings a new tribe of people, the Pictae, who occupy the northeast of Scotland. Over the years, the Pictae, or Picts as we now call them, have been described as Phoenicans, or a tribe come from the Holy Land, also as dwellers of secret underground tunnels and even exiles from Atlantis, the fictional continent said to be somewhere beneath the surface of the Atlantic Ocean. However, nowadays the Picts are almost certainly descendants of the Celts that fought the Romans at the Battle of Mons Graupus in 84 AD, mentioned in the last episode. The name Picti means the painted ones or the painted people and probably comes from Prio, a Celtic word meaning shape or pattern. This gives us the impression of the painted warriors described by the Romans at Mons Graupus. They used wood, a substance or paint made from water, crushed berries and flowers. This is where Mel Gibson got the idea to use in Braveheart, you know, the, with the painted faces. Um, and of course, as we established before, William Wallace did not paint his face blue. Between 342 and 360 AD, the Romans write that they were attacked by pirates from Ireland who raid villages on the west coast of Scotland along with raiding Roman ships. The Romans called these pirates the Scotti. This probably comes from the, Sc the Celtic word scud, which means to sail. 
In 367 AD, the Picts and the Scotti, or the Picti and the Scots, or whatever, they join together and they launch an attack on Roman Britain, killing and capturing many Romano-British leaders in the process. This leads to Hadrian's Wall being strengthened in 369 AD. Much like earlier, the Romans are believed to have tried to bribe the Scots and the Picts with treasures to stop these attacks. This is backed up by the finds at a former Celtic hill fort at Traprain Law, where Roman cups, jewellery and silver coins have been found to be buried there. Due to the constant attacks and additional political struggles in the Romano-British Empire, the Romans abandon Hadrian's Wall and leave Britain completely. This allows the Celtic tribes to establish themselves and quickly the Roman properties are taken over and parts of Hadrian's Wall are dismantled to build other things. Now that Scotland was free from Roman rule, the existing Scottish tribes divide themselves into four large kingdoms with several smaller ones around two. The four main groups were the Picts, the Scots or Gaels, the Britons and the Angles. The Picts occupied the northwest of Scotland and the capital was probably around where Inverness is today. The Scots, or the Gaels, have the kingdom of Dalriata in the southwest of Scotland and the northeastern part of Ireland. The Irish Sea was also part of Dalriata. The, their kingdom's capital was that of Dunad, where the old hill fort still exists. Dunad is just outside the village of Kilmartin in Argyll. The Britons, they hold a collection of small kingdoms known as Strathclyde, around Dumbarton, Godadon, around Dun-Eden, modern-day Edinburgh, as mentioned in the Edinburgh Castle episode, in episode number 24 of this particular podcast, and Reged, which consists of both sides of the Solway Firth in the very south-east of Scotland. The Angles, they hold Northumbria from Yorkshire in England to just north of the River Tweed in the Scottish borders. So, focusing just a little bit more on the Picts. The Picts speak a language uh, known today as P-Celtic. The language is similar to that of modern-day Welsh. The Pictish kingdom was the largest of all the kingdoms and had the largest population. They were known for their stone carvings and carved stone balls and stone slabs. Many of these can be preserved, can be seen, pardon me, preserved all over Scotland. With their spoken language being P-Celtic, they also wrote in a script known as Ogham, which consisted of patterns of straight lines. The Picts had a navy of sorts that attacked Orkney in 681 AD and their army in general was the strongest between 685 and 820 AD until they lost all their leaders at the hands of the Vikings in 839 AD. Now the Vikings we're going to be focusing on on a completely different episode so that's not contained within this episode here. In 843 AD, the Picts and Scots, and again, the Scots were also known as the Gaels, unified their forces and formed the new kingdom of Alapa at Dunad. Now, Alapa is spelled A-L-B-A, very commonly mispronounced as Alba. Um, Alba would, of course, be the way that most people would pronounce it because of how it's spelled, but this is a Scots-Gallic word, and it is pronounced Alapa. 
so with a P and an extra A in there. So Alapa. Clues to where the Picts lived in Scotland can really be told if a place begins either Pet or Pit. So, for example, Peterhead or Pitlochry, meaning a piece of land, or with the word Aber. So Aberdeen, Aberfeldy, and this means the mouth of a river. To focus a wee bit more now on the Scots and Gaels, uh, the Scots or the Scotty and the Gaels were descended from Celtic tribes from both sides of the Irish Sea and would regularly demand money and slaves from other kings all over Ireland. Like the Picts, they were very creative but were better with metalwork rather than stonework. They also, like the Picts, used Ogham script. They would live in places with Bal in the name, B-A-L, which meant village or farm, and Dun, so forts. The Scots and Gales were conquered by the Picts in 740 AD and were subsequently attacked themselves by Vikings around 792 AD. And finally, they united with the Picts in 843 AD to form the Kingdom of Alapa at Dunad. Now the Britons, the Britons came from mainly the Scottish borders but also also from the other side of Hadrian's Wall and they maintained Roman customs established before their time. Their living areas contained uh, the the name, so you can tell where they lived because uh, the terms Lynn, L-I-N-N meaning waterfall or Gow as in Glasgow uh, or well Gow is again how it would be spelled uh, G-O-W, but we pronounce it as Go, so Glasgow. Um, I know that people from the other side of the Atlantic say Glasgow. It's not Glasgow, it's Glasgow. So it's like there's a Z in there and it's Go, not Go. And even I just went and mispronounced it. So uh, so that's, you know, you get an idea as to where they... Uh, Les Mahego as well is another one. Um, so you can tell roughly where the Britons um, kind of lived about. Uh, So they established originally Edinburgh as their main fort until the Angles conquered that in 638 AD and then the Britons established themselves in Stirling instead. Now the Angles, uh, or also known as the Anglo-Saxons, so the Angles and Saxons or Anglo-Saxons were descended from settlers who arrived from Germany, mainly Saxony. Big surprise there. They liked to build grand wooden buildings and halls for their kings and were masters in creating gold decorations on their armour and weapons. They lived in places ending in Ham or Tun. Uh, They successfully invaded north of their main base until they were defeated by the Picts at the Battle of Dunnacan Moss in 685 AD. They then joined the Kingdom of Alapa in 973 AD. The kings of most of these kingdoms chose to set up their forts on top of volcanoes, uh, or ex-volcanoes, plugged volcanoes. So, for example, Edinburgh, Stirling and Dumbarton castles all sit on volcanic plugs. But another one of these was the old kingdom of Dauriata at Dunad, mentioned quite a number of times throughout the course of many of the different episodes of the podcast, and of course many times already in this episode. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Dunad Fort, 
But before I do that, I would uh, just like to say that I will be covering many Scottish castles later on, uh, once we're kind of finished with this little um, beginner series, in a way. Uh, so please let me know in the comments below or on um, by email, whatever. Just let me know what your favourite castle in Scotland is. Um, even if you've never visited Scotland, let me know which one you would like to hear more about so that I can make an episode focusing on that particular castle for you. So focus on Dunad Hillfort. Uh, Dunad Hillfort is slightly lesser known in Scotland and even though access to it is very open, there are no huge signs to direct you towards to it. Now it is a place that I have visited and the scramble to the top is not for the faint of heart. A traveller on a tour, not on my tour thankfully, but with the same company that I worked for, uh, a traveller on that tour did break their leg and had to be picked up picked up by an air ambulance and taken to hospital. So if you are ever going to visit, please take your time and wear appropriate footwear and clothing. It's very windy when you get up to the top. Uh, so Dunad sits in Argyll, just outside the village of Loch Gilphead and not far from Kilmartin Glen and the village of Kilmartin itself. Now, Kilmartin Glen in Kilmartin contains the highest concentration of prehistoric monuments anywhere in Scotland, with over 800 monuments located within a radius of just 6 miles, or 10 kilometres. Dunad is believed to be the site of the coronations for the kings of Alapa. Legend says that the Stone of Schoon, or the Stone of Destiny, was first brought here because it was kept in Schoon. At the top of the fort where there is a bowl and a footprint carved into the stone, which is understood to have formed part of the coronation ceremony. I have pictures of this that I personally have taken, and I will post them on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter if I can get them on there, if you want to sort of see what I'm talking about. There is also a faint carving of a boar in the rock along with faded Ogham inscriptions which refer to someone called Finn Manach, possibly from Ireland. Many excavations have taken place here over the years with loads of tools, weapons and quern stones which are, were used for grinding wheat. You've maybe seen them before, you know, two large circular stones, you place wheat in there and you grind them up and you get flour. Um, there's also pottery found there from all over Europe and moulds for the making of metal jewellery. Now, as mentioned before, another gem of a place rarely travelled to by either tourists or even locals is Kilmartin Glen. It features what is called a linear cemetery with numerous burial chamber cairns of which five still remain to this day. These are the Glebe Cairn, Netherlargy North, Netherlargy Mid and Netherlargy South Cairns and the Re Cruin Cairn. All of the cairns feature burial cysts and are of Neolithic period and Bronze Age except the Netherlargy South Cairn which was Stone Age in structure but was then rebuilt in the Bronze Age. The glen also features numerous standing stones also. So with the standing stones, uh, you firstly have at Bale Menach, which features six stones in total, the tallest of which being four metres or 12 feet in height. Two of the stones are marked with cup and ring marks. These are quite popular in the sort of Pictish 
um, standing stones. Uh, what they're for, we don't know, but uh, these cup and ring marks, uh, which is, uh, you know, the feature on many Pictish-style stone circles. Uh, you then have temple wood, which contains two stone circles. Um, so you've got the north and the south. The northern circle is the smaller of the two, and it features just two stones. Uh, one in the centre of a kind of burial cyst, almost, and then one on the outer ring of the circle, but we do believe that this may have originally been uh, a wooden framed circle, so the two stones were there basically just to hold up timber. Then the larger of the southern, uh, the larger, sorry, southern circle contains a ring of 13 standing stones, however was believed to have contained 22 originally. In the centre there is a burial cyst and is believed to have been built in 3000 BC. Nether Largy standing stones are located a short walk away from Temple Wood, so you can walk. So I think where you park, uh, you can park up. You walk up to Nether Largy standing stones, then from there move on to Temple Wood, and then from there move on to Nether Largy. It's either Mid or Nether Largy South Chambered Cairn, and then back right. It's basically a big circle that you can do. Uh, it doesn't take long either, which is great. Uh, but the Netherlargy standing stones uh, are located a short walk away from Templewood and they feature four stones in two pairs. The two pairs are roughly 70 feet apart and there is a fifth but smaller stone located in the middle. It is believed that this site was used to predict eclipses and was essentially some form of lunar observatory. Now many people again have uh, disproved that fact. Um, however, of course, we don't really know what these standing stone things were for anyway. So, make up your own theory and believe that theory. I believe what I... I tend to believe what I read, mostly. Uh, the stones, once again, feature the cup and ring marks, again, of which we, we don't know what they mean. So. If you're in the area, Kilmartin Museum is also worth a visit. Um, and uh, there is obviously a lot more information can be found. Uh, there's a great book that you can buy there in the footsteps of kings. Um, I tried to find it online before I actually visited Kilmartin. I think you have to visit Kilmartin itself in order to find that book. But it is very, very interesting. Very, very good book there. Uh, and if you're leaving uh, Kilmartin and heading towards Oban, uh, the preserved ruins of Carnassery Castle are also nearby. Uh, Carnassery Castle was built by John Carswell, uh, who was a Protestant reformer, but he was the man that published the first book to ever be printed in Scots Gaelic, and the book itself was a translation of John Knox's Book of Common Order. So, folks, that is it for another week. I do apologise that this episode has taken a little bit longer to come out. Um, again, just things getting on top of me, Christmas period, etc. Uh, I will have a Christmas episode coming for you on Christmas Day. And then uh, a Hogmanay episode. I'm not sure if I'm going to do an episode episode or whether we're just going to get together on Facebook Live uh, or something like that. I haven't quite worked that out as of yet. But keep an eye on the social media. Keep an eye on your podcast um, host and see whether or not there's going to be an episode on Hogmanay. Chances are I might just do a live video for a couple of hours. You know, we'll sit around, we'll drink some whiskey. 
and uh, answer some questions. So if you do have any questions at all that you've ever wanted to ask a Scots person, um, a Scotsman or a, a Scotswoman, I can always ask my uh, girlfriend as well if she has uh, any questions to answer. Um, but yeah, if you've got any questions at all for me, send them over uh, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Scott History Pod. On Twitter, it's at Scott History Pod. Instagram.com forward slash Scott History Pod. Or you can just make it easy on yourself. Go to the website, scotthistorypod.com, and that'll take you to any of your favourite social media sites. You can also send me an email through the website also. If you want to support the podcast in any way, you can do so via the Patreon page. Uh, Thank you very much to the more recent Patreons or patrons of the page. Thank you all so very, very much for supporting. You can uh, choose to support the podcast for either £1 or £3 per month. It does um, change as to which region it is that you live in. So if you live in the States, for example, um, it'll be the equivalent in dollars as to what it is in pounds. Uh, So either £1, £3 per month, and uh, that basically helps to go towards the running costs for the podcast. So once again, folks, thank you very, very much, and I will speak to you on Christmas Day, but I hope that you're enjoying the uh, lead-up to Christmas, and uh, yeah, thank you very much. I'll speak to you again next time. The best way to give someone a gift they'll never forget is to give a gift they'll always use. American Giant makes clothes that just keep getting better with age, like their iconic full-zip hoodie that's designed to last for decades. And a gift they'll wear for years is a gift that keeps on giving. But American Giant makes a lot more than just hoodies. They have impossibly comfy sweaters, classic t-shirts, soft, structured sweatpants, even classic everyday denim, all made right here in the USA, with a quality you'll have to feel to believe. Be a gift-giving giant this holiday season at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code GRATEFULAG23. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code GRATEFULAG23.